Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, and welcome wherever you are in the world, whatever time of day it is with you. How are you doing? This is Tales in Our Times, another wonderful episode. My name is Janet. My name is George. Sorry, I'm a bit sing-songy. I don't know why that came out like that. I, I hadn't planned on it. I apologize. There's no rule against it. We're allowed. No, no. So here we are, episode two of season two, dare I say it. Oh, that makes me sound a bit overconfident, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so to this week's episode is, um, uh, what's the word? Um, seasonal, I guess. Sort of a holiday same- episode. Yeah, but it's not really a holiday. Um, I'm going to read a few lines. (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, as we always say, it's in the title. So if you've read the blurb, you'll know what it's about anyway. But let me just read. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Do you know what we're going to talk about? <laughs> That's uh, That was the first set of bars that ever put Eminem on the map, right? That was like oh. his first rap that got him famous. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. I would, I, would, I would love to hear a terrible rap remix of the, the gunpowder plot rhyme. Yes. Um, and just, you know... Uh, you know so we're staying on top of it that poem is just listed as english folk verse because i think because it's so old maybe nobody took any notice of who actually wrote it if you know let us know because uh you know that's always interesting and you know we're gonna dive into well anyway it's about the gunpowder pl- plot today isn't it we're going over yes. guy fawkes narratives guy fawkes night narratives yeah sure so um, but before we do that, do we want to do a quick reading check and see if we've got any news? Yeah, which do you want to do first, books or news? News is pretty good. Go on, give me a piece of news, George. First one, biggest one. The SAG after strike has come to a close. We have found a contract. It is tentative still so you know hold your breath but it it has been voted on and agreed to which is amazing huge huge congratulations to the strikers and all of the work um yeah so congrats sag after we're so happy um about time you know but hopefully this will be a beautiful sign moving forward especially considering how much ai is wheedling its way into our lives um so these sort of protections hopefully will be a symbol for the future. Who knows? I mean, I have to say, like, with all the talk of AI and things, um, somebody said to me at work the other day, well, AI is already working in your computer when it, like, runs predictive text and stuff like that on your phone and stuff. I mean, but is that what we think about when we think about AI? Not really, is it? No. Well, yeah. We're talking about, like, generative AI as compared to, well... I don't know. I don't actually know the difference in in totality, but I like what what the strikers are complaining about and what I personally am complaining about as someone who sees this happen at my job as well is like using AI recreations of work previously done by people 
to cut corners and save money. You know, it's it, it. We did a little bit of. I won't go too into it because Please just don't. privacy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and also moment get bored. Um, but my impression from all of the AI stuff that is being added into my my personal life um, is that it turns it makes you turn into an AI debugging specialist as compared to saving you work. You know. You have to you have to kind of watch it and handhold it some of the way, and 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 then it'll be good enough to take your job. So, the stuff you're talking about is is um, technology that actually creates content off its own back, you know. But it's been programmed with other stuff that's been done, and it's just kind of oh, I can just mush that all together, right? Is that is that how it works? Yeah, yeah, not off its own back. Okay off of what it's scraped off the internet like other people who've From created its content and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> digging around the pits of the internet until you can Ooh. squish to nether enough. To nether? <laughs> right, together? I'll stop. Okay. Shush, shush, shush. Okay. You didn't hear that. Uh, Mike, if you could just bleep over that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, just joking. Anyway, so that's my bit of news. That's what I got for news. Anyway. Okay. Um, we also you got anything? Well, I have, but I, I have to be honest that I don't really know what the details about it. So I think the past week it was 400th <laughs> anniversary of um, Shakespeare's uh, first folio, which was a publication of his works that came out like seven years after he died or something. And so, you know. I think in the spirit of keeping the bard alive, but also, you know, somebody's going to be making some money. There's a lot of um, events and productions being put together to commemorate that. So I think, and we did talk about this before, but I think it the um, first folio contained a lot of his sort of renowned works as well as stuff that hadn't been published before. Is that correct, George, from what we were yeah, I think uh, the Tempest, Measure for Measure, um, and one or two others were like published for the first time in the first folio, and then others were like, like just collected from his previous published works. An incredibly important document, all things and, considered. And I, th I think it is correct to recognize that, whether you're a fan of Shakespeare or not, he did write some great stories. <laughs> you know yeah um, there's no two ways about it i mean my i'm very predictable like one of my favorites is definitely midsummer night's dream just because who doesn't love bottom <laughs> i love a good bottom <laughs> <laughs> so you cannot not like I I was going to say it is kind of like a good, like an easy guess that you're, you're a Midsummer Night's Dream fan. Like that is it, a lot of fairies, like a lot of magic in the woods. That's very much your style. I wasn't ready for that second line though. That really cracked me up. <laughs> well, there you go. You know. It's true though. It, the language is amazing. I mean, like the sonnets make me cry. They are sincerely so, so beautiful. All right, I'm allowed to cry at poetry. Why are you giving sure. me faces like that? Whatever. Okay. Um, Judgment from my own mother. I'm not judging. Cool child services. Da 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 da. You're not a child. Well, <laughs> I mean, you might behave <laughs> like one, but but in the eyes of the law, you're not a child. 
Um, but uh, yeah, so I think it's right that they do recognise those sort of anniversaries to keep that, um, you know, his words alive. Because if nothing else, it, it's part of history and it's the history of, you know, the written narrative. And um, so I, I like the fact, even though I'm sure there are people who are like, oh, well, it's a 400th anniversary. Let's make a movie, make some money. Whatever. It's the way the world works, I suppose. But I do think it's um, it's valid aside from all of that stuff around it. So, yay. Go Bill. <laughs> Go Bill, indeed. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Mum. Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. What you, uh, what you reading right now? Well, so I'm still reading The Sentence's Death by Anthony Horowitz, and it surprised me <laughs> because I thought it was going to be just another um, like murder mystery type book, right? So I get into it, and um, for those of you who don't know, Anthony Horowitz, as well as writing books, has written a lot of um, TV drama and stuff. And he wrote a series called Foil's War. And the start of this book is him being on the set of one of the recordings of Foil's War. And I'm like, oh, that's not what I signed up for. I don't want I don't want like a, you know, a sort of an account of his experience of one of his writings being filmed. That's not right. But of course, you know, that's not actually what it's about. And so it actually does lead into this mystery. So um, I'm quite, you know, it's nice to be surprised, isn't it? I thought I... He's played a bit of a, a bit of a trick on you. But apparently it's part of a series that he's wrote. Something else I didn't know until I started reading it and then started doing some background research. <laughs> there's actually, there's a bunch of these books that he's written. Um, so, well, hey, Anthony Horowitz. So I'm enjoying that. And... Um, I do want to get on to, I mentioned last week, um, the, what was it, Musicophilia by... Um, oh, yes. Oliver Sacks. Oliver Sacks. I That's what I said. Um, yeah, I re yeah. So I'm, I'm torn because I'm trying to get through this Anthony Horowitz and then I keep wanting to dip into that because I really, uh, you know, his face is on the cover every time I see it. I'm like, I know, I'm going to get to you. Don't worry, I'm coming. <laughs> He's looking at you like, yeah. why haven't you picked up my book? Why haven't you read my book, bitch? But um, anyway. What? So. <laughs> Language. <laughs> well, I, he would never Goodness say that because I think he... I, from. He's a learned man. Yeah, and what I saw of him speaking, you know, in public and everything, he was very sort of genteel and and quite proper. Um, so I'm sure he would never say that. But that's how it feels every time I look at the book because I, the desire is there. It's just I want one at a time, you know. That's the opposite of what you've got going on, isn't it? Genteel and proper. Yeah, you know, sometimes I try when I'm... So it's the funniest thing because we're making a podcast which potentially is very public and although I do watch myself and I do try and speak correctly and, and be respectful of anybody that we're interacting with or talking about or whatever, um, I definitely behave like that when I'm in a work situation. But when I'm just, you know, in my own space, I'm probably a little bit naughty. <laughs> I The thing is, is like, I've known you my whole life. So what you mean by naughty is like, saying the f word and like throwing up middle fingers every now and then yeah like very quite mild for uh or eating a whole for, chocolate uh, cake yeah eating a <laughs> eating a barrel of cheese balls to yourself <laughs> it's 
It's like no one cares if you do that. No. No, but I feel like it's a, it's the wrong thing. So funny. Anyway, Ooh, what are you reading, George? Oh, thanks, <laughs> Mum. Um, that didn't sound like me at all. We'll leave that for the listeners. Hi. We'll see. Get in the Q and A if you think I sounded like mom. Um, so I am still working on the feminist subversion of the economy. It is very good, very infuriating. Uh, I'm about halfway through it. Um, I wanted to share two books that I picked up, which are uh, next on my list. After that, I finished up the Naomi Novik. I liked it quite a lot. Um, but I started with two books from two Philadelphia authors. Uh, the first one being Kensington Homestead. It's an essay collection by Nick Esposito. Um, basically, uh, this is a book written from the perspective of this man who is co-managing Emerald Street Urban Farm in Kensington, Philadelphia, with his wife, Um he is writing about like the sometimes absurd experience of growing food in a city. Um, I just want to I'll give you I'll give you the first line just to see a bit of what it's like. But it's full of, you know, it's full of um, little illustrations and information about a garden which you can go see in Kensington. It is uh, not far from my house. Oh, this is... Yeah, so here's the first line. It's Monday in July at Emerald Street Urban Farm in the Kensington section of Philadelphia. And that means that it's time for another farm day. Sounds like a sort of children's read aloud. It's like... And then we went down and visited the cows. <laughs> well, it's not quite that big of a farm. It's like, you know, it's in a it's it's you. a city farm. It's urban farming. But uh, I am quite excited. Uh, the so I got this down at the head in the hand uh, in Fishtown, which is a bookshop that I love to pieces. They're fantastic there. Um, and this was actually published by their press. So this is like a very local um printing and uh they were able to give me a lot of information about nick and the project and sort of tell me like oh yeah it's two lefts and a right over there you can go, go to the farm. see so that's very cool i'm very much looking forward to that and then i started reading this next book because i just could not stop myself it's called numamushi uh, by mina ikimoto gosh a fairy tale Burned by napalm as an infant and adopted by the guardian spirit of a river, Numamushi spends the first years of his life catching frogs to eat and learning to shed his skin like his serpentine father. Then one day, a lonely man moves into the abandoned house next to the river, and curiosity for all things human awakens in Numamushi. Whoa. It's very, yeah, very fantastical. Um, uh, also from... Philadelphian author, uh, also published uh, locally in Philadelphia by Lantern Fish Press. Um, and I will give you just the first line here. Numamushi had come to the great white snake from upstream, floating on robes made buoyant with flaming grease. Ugh. Kind of intense. Well, it's, I mean, 
It's the story of a traumatic birth. Yeah. Anyway. Very traumatic. I mean, I, I have to say, the first one you talked about, the farm, I really like the tone of that. It sounded very kind of cosy and nice. I, um, The one, the second one you mentioned uh, sounded a little darker. You know, it's all about balance. you got to have a bit of both. Yeah, maybe. Or you can make it all nice stuff all the time. That's fair, too. Yeah. You know? It's, it's all donuts <laughs> and chocolate cake in my life. <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay. Or bonfire night That is topping. sometimes, that's how I feel about the economy book right now. Every time I read something, I like get increasingly angry. And I'm oh. like, why don't you just put this down and go read some poetry or something? Yeah. Go to your house. Watch a movie. <laughs> read about a farm. Yeah, read about a farm. Okay. Anyway, you mentioned a bit of Bonfire Night Toffee. Oh. Why don't we get back to the subject at hand and talk about a bit of Guy Fawkes. Guy Fawkes, or as he was also known, um, Guido. Guido. Guido mm -hmm. Fawkes or Guido something else. Yep. Because he did No, Guido Fawkes and... He was in, yeah, he was uh, in Spain. Spain. Um, and also known as John Johnson for the time that he was employed at Parliament because he needed to come up with a fake name, I think. Here's the thing. His real name sounded like a fake name. It sounded a bit like he was doing a Kaiser Sose thing and he was, like, caught by the police and he was like, Guy, and then looked the to fast. the left, saw Fox said fox guy fox that's me mate so you know john johnson's not that sounds positively regular yes i think that that's the point right yeah that's a good that's a good conspiratorial name law i mean as as well sort of like you know in uh retrospect now that this is like what uh, 400 over 400 years old this event you, you do have to, I do feel like I have to say, you know, I would say Guy Fawkes. But if you had a different twang to your accent, you could play all sorts of tricks with that name. You know, just saying. Without swearing on a podcast, just saying. Oh, like saying Guy Fawkes. <laughs> Thanks, George. I didn't get it at first. I didn't, I thought <laughs> we were going back to the fox. I was like, isn't it? Nothing inherently funny about foxes. I mean, foxes can be funny. They can also be very nasty, anyway. So, uh, we have moved away from doing that big historical rundown as part of our sort of runner's show, but I do want to interject here a little bit. A little bit of history, just in case. <laughs> then we kept doing things that have histories, so right, it doesn't yeah. matter. You know, we can't not talk about it, but it's no longer the big monologue. No. So... In 1605, uh, Guy Fawkes, Guido, John, whatever you want to call him, joined a band of, um, I don't know what you call it, you probably call them terrorists today, I don't know, but... Ne'er-do-wells. Ne'er-do-wells, yeah. Um, freedom fighters. Freedom, well, it's, it's a complicated issue, isn't it? Because it was about their, their beef with the um, status quo, not the band, but um, the way things were. What they didn't like was um, the fact that there was a Protestant on the throne of England, that the monarch was not Catholic and had been previously. And so they decided the best way to deal with that was to blow him up. Um, 
Yeah, it does feel a little less about freedom, doesn't it? It does a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so Guy's role in this little escapade was to guard the gunpowder. And, uh, and blow it up. Yeah, but he wasn't very good because he got busted. In the early hours, that's not of, his fault. Someone narked. Somebody... <laughs> there was there was some anonymous yeah. letter got sent to an MP that was like, "Oh, ye beft watchy outy, there beef bomb underneath ye old parliamenty." Yeah, it sounded just like that. I think that when yeah when I watched the news report, it was reported just like that because I am hundreds of years old. <laughs> um, and also they had news reports in the 1600s. They did. They really did. I think they were written by Bill Shakespeare, but no, hang on. Um, I'm going to hang up on you. You are not. Don't do that. Um, so, you know, those snitches obviously didn't get stitches, but Guy Fawkes did get caught. And Bars, honestly. Yeah. And he, he was hung, but what did he hanged. do? Hanged. Hanged? Is hung not a word? Yeah. No, hung is a word. So here's something that you learn in theater school. Um, hung is for a painting or anything. Hanged is for a person. Is the verb. Who's, no. who's been killed. Okay. No, no. It's still no, a it's, verb. Hung is a verb. Yeah, yeah. You can say, like, I hung my coat on the peg, but I hanged a man at the gallows because well, he tried to explode my government. Yeah. I mean, you know... Obviously, it's a bit extreme, and um, the guy who was in charge of the whole thing... Wanted Which guy? To, uh, I think his name was Kateby, John... Fawkes. John Kateby, the leader of the whole thing, not Guy Fawkes. Wanted, oh, he, you said Guy, so I was going to try and oh, yeah. force uh, who's on third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. stop, don't do that, because I don't need any help being <laughs> confused. Um, but the guy who's <laughs> in charge of this, like, you know, rabble of gunplay gunpowder gunpowder plotters wanted to put his daughter on the throne i think or some female relative who was actually third in line to the throne but she was a catholic so um you know take from it what you will it it's history lots of shitty things happen in history don't they we all know that uh, but the way that the english people took this they took it upon themselves oh we commemorate it's weird. by having big bonfires in our backyards, letting off fireworks. Um, when I was growing up, my mum always made um, meat and potato pie, which is like meat and potatoes with like a pastry crust on it. And she would make uh, toffee apples, which they call them candy apples here, so same sort of thing. And she would also make like um, hard, crunchy toffee, take your fillings out your teeth, which we actually had. Our, our one sort of like celebration to the 5th of November, which was a few days ago now, obviously time is not relevant here, but was that we made some um, bonfire night toffee and it's called bonfire night as well. And also the other thing that you should remember is that kids dress, they make like these guys out of old clothes, they stuff them with newspaper and then they, <laughs> they beg on the streets. I don't think this happens anymore, but when I was a kid, it still did um, where they, beg for pennies for the guy. So, like, people would give them money mm -hmm. judging on how good their guy is, and they use that to buy treats or fireworks or whatever they can get away with, and then the guy goes on the bonfire <laughs> on the night of the 5th of November. I mean, it used to be a great night, in my memory, anyway. Um, 
But that, that is not even what happened to Guy Fawkes. What what happened to him in the end, George? Uh, so he was hanged, but he also it is it is said that he jumped to his own death after they'd put the noose on him, thus uh, denying his torturous, uh, painful death. Yeah. So he took charge, kind of. Yeah, took that last moment back. You know, and and probably I would think that a lot of people, their only uh, point of reference for this is probably the V for Vendetta character. Yeah, so that's what we were going to talk about. Um, Do we want to, real quick, before we get into chat about V for Vendetta, can we talk about some books to get, like, Guy Fawkes info from? Sure. I did a little bit of background. Okay, so I I just pulled a few out at random. I haven't got a lot of information about them. But, you know, if you're interested, then you can always look some of these up. Um, quite a few of them are YA. Um, there's also one at the end I'm going to share that is just a read aloud because it's cute as a hedgehog. Or, no, just really cute. Um, so as the- always, these will all be available in the books bench and section of the episode description. Sure, sure. Okay, so there was one called, uh, the first one I came across was Forks by um, Nadine Brandes. I'm not sure it's Brandes or just Brands because it's got an E at the end. So that makes me think that it's Brandes. But, and that's. Brandies. A, say again? Brandies. Brandies. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that one is a YA book. It's about, it's taken from the perspective as, of a. Um, a young man whose father is involved um, with the gunpowder plotters, and um, he he's got a threat of his his face turning to concrete or something or to stone if he you know lets anybody know what's going on. So um, so that's Forks by um, Nadine. <laughs> Yeah, that that is the line. That's what it said. I mean, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe you. I don't not believe you. I just think it's it's a great example of the way you used to be like you used to be able to lie to kids. You can't do that anymore. And so, uh, jumping in a completely different direction, there's another one called "The Firemaster's Mistress" by Christy Dickerson, and this is about somebody who is uh, the mistress of one of the gunpowder plotters. It's about you know her relationship with this guy. Um, it's in dirty 17th century London tan. So, you know, it's, it's set amongst all the muck and the filth. Um, but the background to it is the gunpowder plot. So, but it's, it's a row. It's a romance, but not really, because I feel like from what I read about it, the, the woman involved, it's more out of her relationship is more out of necessity, perhaps, than of mm. choice. And I couldn't swear to that because I haven't read the whole book, but, you know, maybe you want to have a look at it and tell me what you think. Then what else did I have? Always um, interested in a book about a mistress. That's oh, usually yeah. a pretty good... You've got a mistress, right? Um, <laughs> they've got the best stories, mistresses. They do. They, they've got the best dirt. There's one called Guy Fawkes by... Uh, historian Hugh Ross Williamson, um, which is written. Oh, that's a pretty I, good historian name. Yeah, he sounds like a historian, um, and it is like a a 
fiction written around the actual political intrigue and conspiracy of the whole um, event itself. So it's although it, it is um, fiction, it's still using the actual events as the sort of meat and potatoes of the um, story. Then there was another one that I, I like the title of this one. It's called Black Powder. Again, it's another YA. Um, the author is Ali Sherrick. And um, it's about this young lad, Tom, who's um, taking care of his dad. And he gets befriended by this, uh, I don't know, I think it's supposed to be like a cool, you know, grown-up character who says, you know, come with me to London, son, and I'll show you the streets are paved with gold or something. That was Dick Whittington, actually, but sorry. Um so Tom is 12 years old. He's taken in by this guy um, because the guy's like, you know, you help me out. Um, I'll give you some money. You'll be able to look after your dad, blah, 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 blah. And it's not until right, right. he's well into it that he realizes that the Falcon is actually part of the gunpowder plot. So, um, you know, bad luck on him there. Uh, I love the choice to make it a YA. That does seem like a pretty interesting for like literal barrels full of gunpowder be mm. like you know what this needs to be about a kid <laughs> um and although there were a few others i know less about them i'll be honest and so i'm going to finish off this little bit just with my little read aloud it's called hovis the hedgehog and it's by linda lee lawrence and david crawford now it's not set in 1605 um but it is a really cute little story. If you're interested, I'd look it up on YouTube. Hovis the Hedgehog, because there's a, an English teacher doing a read aloud of this book. Um, it's written in um, rhyme, which I, always appeals to me. You know, a good bit of rhyming and telling a story, I think, is a very skilled um, way of writing. Um, and it's about this hedgehog who's got his little snuffly bed out in the back garden. But... It's bonfire night, and so his home is going to go up in flames. And it's about his, you know, his woes huh? and his sadness that his home is going to be set to fire, set on fire. Well, whatever. Two fire sounds better, but I think it's grammatically wrong. But anyway, um, uh, <laughs> but he, so his name is Hovis the Hedgehog. For those of you who don't know, Hovis is a brand of bread in the United Kingdom. And he finds a box with his name on it. It says Hovis because obviously... Of course. It was a box that had bread in it. And um, so he goes and snuggles down in the little Hovis box. And he's like, his sort of final thought in the story is, if it wasn't for Guy Fawkes, I wouldn't have lost my home in the first place. But it's really cute. And it's rhyming. And the illustrations are really nicely done. So um, if you've got a little person in your life, I would recommend just reading that to them as a nice book. And it is on YouTube as well, being read aloud. So so those are some of my oh, lovely. Guy Fawkes findings in the narrative world, as twere. As twere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing those. I do want to, you know, obviously we were going to talk about V for Vendetta, but just wanted to get some of the other stuff out there. For those of us who are unfamiliar with it, V for Vendetta is a graphic novel written by Alan Moore and illustrated by David Lloyd. Um, I believe there's an additional artist, uh, but I will find that again uh, later. Um, I'll put it in the books mentioned. Uh, 
but uh, it was initially published between 1982 and 1985 uh, in the British anthology Warrior. It tells the story of V, an anarchist revolutionary, wearing a Guy Fawkes mask as uh, he carries out this massive anarchist campaign to kill his former captures, uh, take down the fascist state, and uh, convince everyone to abandon fascism in the uh, in favor of anarchy. So is this meant to be Guy Fawkes is coming back to wreak his revenge, or is it because it's a post-apolyptic uh, society? I don't like that So one. close. What was it? Apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. Jesus, there's too many syllables. Yeah. And constant. That's a lot of syllables. Um, so... Yeah, so uh, so one they used to in like early twentieth century um, Guy Fawkes night like bonfire night celebrations. You used to get paper masks of pretend like you know pretending to be Guy Fawkes, the very like characteristic big curly mustache and like uh, red brown hair. But a uh, so a, a part of creating V for Vendetta was actually illustrator David Lloyd made this like note, just like took a note. Um, so why don't we portray him as this resurrected Guy Fawkes complete with one of the masks in a cape and big conical hat. Uh, it would look really bizarre and it would give Guy Fawkes the image he's deserved all these years. We shouldn't burn him every November 5th, but celebrate his attempt to blow up Parliament, which uh, <laughs> I think you'll find is a lot of people's take on guy, the Guy Fawkes story. Uh, a, a very popular joke was um, uh, Guy Fawkes, the only man to enter Parliament with honest intentions. <laughs> so the, sort of shortly thereafter, uh, even though we kept on burning him, we did love to light an effigy of a man on fire, which I get, sort of. But V for Vendetta, the, sto the story was about this anarchist already, and then David Lloyd came up with the idea to sort of dress him as Guy Fawkes. And Alan Moore is reported as saying, like, once he said that, all the pieces fell together um, behind this image. Uh, so if you have seen V for Vendetta, you probably know the mask, but you might have also seen it on the faces of uh, Anonymous or in other popular protests. Um, it is, you know, obviously it has its own relations with uh, protest against corrupt government. Uh, quotes around corrupt in the first one, just because Protestant doesn't necessarily mean corrupt. No. But, you know, Parliament hasn't always been for the people, so it still kind of works. But so Anonymous uses the the uh, hacktivism group Anonymous. They use those masks sort of uh, throughout like the Project Channelogy protests against Scientology in 2008. Um, and then... Also, throughout like the 2000s, it has been uh, it has cropped up time and again, sometimes when they make like pres uh, <laughs> presentations. I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> Anonymous puts out videos about like their their targets and stuff. Um, I, I was going to make it sound like they were doing a slideshow. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
But so uh, Moore and Lloyd are both really pleased with this outcome. Um, uh, Alan Moore is an anarchist, uh, and he really, you know, vibes with that thing. And David Lloyd said, uh, the Guy Fawkes masks is, had, has become a common brand and a convenient placard to use in protest against tyranny, and I'm happy with people using it. It seems quite unique, an icon of popular culture being used this way. My feeling is the anonymous group needed an all-purpose image to hide their identity and also symbolize that they stand for individualism. V for Vendetta is a story about one person against the system. So, And it's gone on, hasn't it? I mean, it was first published in the UK mm-hmm. and then D- DC Comics took it over for a while in the late 1980s. And then I think it was taken over by another publisher at some point. And of course, films. And they made a they made a, a like prequel series kind of recently. Um, I think I think I read that Alan Moore wasn't a huge fan of the film adaptation, but it was more to do with the fact that it was it it, it was like an Americanized version. It talked about like like neocon like neoconservative political viewpoints as compared to like fascism, which isn't. Wasn't the first film of it made in London, though? I thought it was made around... It was set in London. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But I think it was made by the Wachowski sisters, who are American. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just going back to our original thoughts, you know, as sort of um, recognising that this is a time of year people have been having bonfires and letting fireworks off, blowing things up, goodness knows what... It, to say this happened, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, how it has infiltrated not just, you know, formal literature, novels and things, but graphic novels. Um, I think that that's quite um, telling of how and we I think we talked about this when we talked about historical fiction, you know, how um, real events can be kind of kept alive, if you like through mm. people's ability to write good narratives. Even if sometimes they are, like, morphed and yeah. changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're st- still given an awareness of an original idea or event or, you know, whatever that, um, you know, keeps it alive. And, you know, not for nothing, but as a child, I love Bonfire Night. I didn't even... I, <laughs> I knew it was about guns. Same here, actually. <laughs> I knew it was about, I had no idea what it was about. I knew it was about Guy Fawkes blowing up the House of Parliament, but that was as much as I cared about it, to be honest with you. I liked the idea of nice food, fireworks, and, you know, staying out late in the back garden. Yeah, yeah. What's not to love about that? We did a big bonfire in our backyard growing up in Florida. And <laughs> just fantastic. Yeah. Sparklers. I remember that, actually. I do remember that. It was like early New Year. Anyway, so where do we go from here? I I think that's it. It's okay if we did a little shorty. I don't think we need to know the future of Guy Fox right now. Oh no, I, the important things. Oh, I think it. You know, uh, I don't. I don't think the future needs commenting on for Guy Fox. You know, I mean, I'm quite happy that hopefully protesters can continue to use the mask to hide their identities from. Corrupt governments. And I'm sure he'd be very happy about that. Yeah. You know? Honestly, for for what he was actually doing, 
to like if you're if you're able to like look back at your legacy in the in the like you know preceding timeline after the fact yeah when you're dead surely he he's gonna be like nice wow <laughs> sweet i really came out on top yeah <laughs> apart from the bit where everybody's setting fire to him on uh, november the 5th like, all over the uk <laughs> it, yeah that's all right yeah um they still somehow made him a hero it's I really get, interesting yeah it is a very weird kind of like arc or or even even like circle. pre v for vendetta like they had the like oh yeah guy fought the only man to go into parliament saying what he was gonna do it's it's so like he, okay but but he was a, live under this government yeah well we you know we don't always get to choose the government we live under but so anyway that was guy Fawkes, boys and girls and um Happy Bonfire Night. Happy Bonfire Night, even though it's way gone by the time you're going to hear this, if you're hearing it at all. Um, there, <laughs> there was another book um, set around that time that included um, Shakespeare and his friend, um, what was his name, Marlowe? Uh, Marlowe, Christopher Marlowe. Christopher Marlowe. But I didn't um, see the write-up on that, but that might be an interesting one to look up if you... Uh, that's all interested. We will have a list of books, obviously, posted for this. Honestly, maybe one of our next episodes we do is just straight up Shakespeare. Yeah. I would be very down for that. I mean, yeah, me too. I, I'd be up for that. But as of now, I think we're ready to say goodbye, good night, farewell, Afidazine. Good day. Good day. Goodbye for now to you, my friend. Anyway. Singing. Okay. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, go tell some tales. Look forward to our very next episode because you know it's going to be so funny, so well informed. <laughs> the very next one indeed. Good night. Good night.